You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a bite-sized podcast that brings you real-world insights that help go-to-market professionals evolve and stay up-to-date on the latest trends. Join us as we share best practices and proven techniques from industry experts and practitioners. Today's episode is made possible by Demand Matrix. Demand Matrix helps you complete your data stack with technographic, intent, and revenue potential data to help you accelerate revenue. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Sunny Side Up. I'm your host, Asher Matthew, and I'm super excited to talk to Dave Wilner about exploring the Sierra journey and redefining go-to-market in the age of SaaS. Dave, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Specific. And so, Dave, can you... Tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are today so that the audience has an appreciation for the journey that you've been on. Sure. So I'm, I'm a bit of a professional mutt, actually. I, um, I started my career in law. I went to law school. I practiced uh, business litigation for seven, eight years. Um, and then my, my, made my way into tech, um, joining a startup that was building a collaboration platform for big law firms in kind of the late 90s, right around 2000, um, and had a good experience building that business before we sold it. And, uh, and then just never went back to billing hours. Um, so I've uh, been a part of a, of a handful of early stage companies, almost all SaaS, um, uh, and tend to focus kind of on, on high growth companies, usually based in the Pacific Northwest, but not always, um, and joined Auth0, uh, where I work today about five years ago. And I'm, uh, I'm currently Auth0's chief revenue officer, so I'm responsible for marketing, sales, and then post-sales customer success. Terrific. And how did you find the Auth0 opportunity? Yeah, I mean, SaaS is a pretty small, you know, a pretty small community. Um, and so I think I'm pretty sure it was a recruiter at the time. I think the company was it was pretty small. I've, I've been employee five and I've kind of done turnarounds or come in later. And uh, in this situation, I think Auth0 at the time was only about a million dollars, I think 800K to be precise in ARR. And only 40 or 50 employees. So I actually wasn't aware of it. That's a pretty technical offering um, at the time, kind of niche. And so I think a, a recruiter that was aware of some of my go-to-market experience uh, looked me up and, and we had a conversation. Superb. All right. Well, let's get into it. And I'm super excited to have you on the show because you're the first CRO that actually has marketing reporting to them on the mm. show. So let's get into to the definition of a CRO. Yeah, I think it's interesting. It's like so much in SaaS, right? Whether it's CRO or customer success. I mean, some of these things that may have one definition or imply a certain structure at one company, you know, might be approached a little differently um, at a different company. And I guess, at least from my experience, you know, CRO typically is sales plus, right? And so it could be sales plus marketing. It could be sales plus customer success. In some cases, it might be sales and service delivery. Um, but I think we've seen, you know, the evolution of this or the kind of uh, growing prevalence of this, just recognizing that, you know, today with so much information available for consumers and folks that are doing diligence, the sales process is no longer just one function, um, acquiring customers, growing customers, retaining customers. You've got more than just a core group of outsider inside salespeople driving the revenue. And so I think kind of the the origin of the CRO is in recognition of that trend. And I asked the question because I'm, I would say, 
acquaintance plus plus, right? Because you cannot be friends with like 2,000 people, right? So I'm in a bunch of Slack groups where there's a bunch of like emerging VPs of marketing or VPs of sales, and they all have these aspirations to be a CRO. And oftentimes this dialogue happens where like, what is the CRO and who is a CRO and what different types of CROs are there, right? And this is why I wanted to, to have you as a guest because you're an experienced guy. And and uh, and one of the definitions that came out uh, of a CRO was like, if you don't have marketing, you just cannot be CRO because so much of what a CRO does or what SaaS companies are uh, operating under today, it has to do with marketing too. So your opinion and thoughts on that? Yeah, I, th- I think it depends. I think it really depends on what you're selling, what the go-to-market is, right? I think the biggest, I think there are two things, right? I think the first is recognizing that, you know, there's there's typically now, particularly in SaaS, there are integrated sales strategies, right? And so, you know, in, with some businesses, to your point, the line between what is marketing and what is selling um, is blurring, right? And so a significant percentage of our customers spin up a free trial or visit our blog or somehow engage in what you might think of as a marketing endeavor before they ever talk to sales. And frankly, by the time they talk to sales, 80% of their diligence may be done. And so in our sales cycle, you know, looking at those two as a single buying journey makes a lot of sense. In other cases, marketing may have a lighter demand gen role, um, but what's far more important is the expansion motion. And so integrating customer success post-sales, whether that's professional services or customer success managers or break-fix support, integrating those capabilities with your sales teams may make a lot more sense based on the journey there. So I think the key is not so much to start with the org chart or the company, but to look at it from the perspective of your customer and what that journey looks like. And I think that that gets you 80% of the way there toward making that decision. Superb. And, you know, almost every single time that this question comes up, you have the VPs of marketing saying, hey, why can't I be a CRO, right? And so to me, it always comes down to the philosophy that you have as a professional or as an executive, right? Um, but I also realize that there's a mindset issue, right? Because yeah. I think once you unlock your thinking, you can do anything you want. It, this is not rocket science, right? So so you as somebody who is experienced, like, you know, can you talk a little bit about the mindset of a CRO? And maybe there were inflection points in your experience where you had to stop thinking a certain way and start thinking a certain way. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think I think the biggest leap from being, for example, a you know a VP of sales or a VP of marketing, um, you know, having a role that maybe is more FP&A based, is is the recognition that at the end of the day, it's a zero sum game. The company has a finite funding envelope. The company has a finite number of resources to hit a revenue target. And as CRO, you've got a lot of input into where to to put those resources. And that's a heavy responsibility and a broader way of thinking than if you're just a sales leader, right? I think when I was just managing sales teams, I might be more inclined to go into a conference room and pound my shoe and yell and scream for a certain feature that I needed to hit my number that quarter. And I was less concerned with the impact two, three, six quarters later. But I think as CRO, you necessarily have to have more visibility across all the different teams um, and be a leader first or a company leader first, a steward of the business uh, first and responsible for your domain second. And so that means, you know, you wind up reprioritizing based on the big picture health of the company and, and you accept that, 
you're going to fight different battles because you've got a bigger view of the overall war, if that makes sense. I think that's really the biggest difference. I, I totally agree. But then there's some quantitative people out of the marketplace who's, who define this as, a, hey, is the CRO the, the passionate person who cares about the gross margin? Or is the CRO the person who creates uh, the passionate person uh, uh, caring about the sales and marketing expenses line on a P&L? What are your thoughts on that? I think, the, I think the answer is yes to both. The best CROs you know, are shoulder to shoulder with the CFO. Um, and they're in alignment on priorities. Um, and, and if, if you're not, it's, it's going to be a struggle. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be a struggle. It's all related. And so again, I think that's the biggest, that's the biggest difference, you know, as CRO, you should understand the pain points, what's going well, what's not in product, in engineering, in it, you should understand kind of the relative priorities, things that are going well, things where there are struggles in all those groups, because that will help inform again, the, the overall kind of conclusions on where investments make the most sense to maximize revenue as a whole. You have to have that holistic view to be someone that's informed and can then make those recommendations on investment to the business. Superb. And, you know, I personally think it's both, right? But but then you have like a bunch of sales folks who are, let's call them EVP of sales, right? And again, I... I want to take the title out. Just I, and the reason why I took the title in is because of seniority, right? And uh, and there's a lot of respect given to those people who have gotten to that level, right? But now you've spent like 25 years or maybe 20 years thinking and uh, working as a sales leader, right? And now all of a sudden there used to be this role called the chief operating officer, and then we got away from that and we said, okay, let's bring a CRO in, and that person should be responsible for the entire customer engine, right? So yeah. now. I've, I've, I'm also, I find myself as somebody who's done this for 20, 25 years, and now I have to think a different way, right? Sure. Thoughts are like, like, how do I mentally unblock myself at that level? Because I think the emerging CROs have an opportunity because they have no choice. They have to grow in this world. Yeah, it's interesting. I think the, the good news is I think some of that sales centricity and maintaining that, that's good, right? Because you want to have a healthy tension between sales and product that pushes product or pushes engineering to think a little differently. You want to have a healthy tension with finance, or maybe you push the envelope a bit on deal terms or discounting because the best results usually come from having kind of healthy, um, you know, healthy conflicts among those functions. So bringing some of that DNA that you've developed over 20 years, there's nothing wrong with that at all. Um, but the good news is to, to kind of expand your horizons and think a little differently in my experience, all you have to do is commit to spending more time with your peers, more time with the chief product officer, more time with the chief technology officer, more time with the CFO, and don't just scratch the surface on how their weekend is. Actually, participate in some of their off and their offsites to listen. Participate in some of their team calls to learn and take questions. And I think just through osmosis starting to understand some of those other things, that will start to color and impact how you view the world. I don't think you need to go out and read 30 books on, on uh, you know, uh, top versus bottom line arguments over the last 20 years and, you know, what component of net retention is the most important. I think, frankly, 80% of the battle is just opening yourself up to those different departments, kind of current situations and contexts. And that gets you 80% of the way there. I'm I'm so glad that you said that because I feel like 
so much of this is philosophical. It has nothing to do with anything else, right? Like just yeah. the other day, there was another gentleman who I was speaking with, and he's like, you know what? Um, my company just got acquired. I'm a VP of marketing. They're going to offer me a role. I think I'm going to become a sales leader or a sales rep. And then I said, look, why are you going to do that? And like, because I want to go become a CRO. I'm like, great. So now you're thinking of taking two steps back to take one step forward. Now, in some cases, yes, you should do that. But I think you're missing the point because if you find a CEO that is philosophically aligned with you, invested in you, and you quite frankly have fun with the person, I think that's all you need. Like, I mean, the rest, I mean, there's some things to be said about experience and the role, et cetera, et cetera, as well. But I think that component is so much more than anything else because this has got to be about like, maybe taking some vacations together or take going on trips together or like visiting customers together. You know, the, those are the activities that build those bonds. Yeah. I think, I think just opening yourself up to, to realizing I need to understand things outside of my purview a bit more. That's most of the heavy lift. All right. Let's talk a little bit about when things are going south, right? Cause there's a little bit about around like surviving a CRO role as well in let's call it the Valley or in SaaS or in tech. Right. And just like the CMOs tenure is like, I don't even know what month. Cause it almost seems like it's getting shorter. Right. The CROs are also under the same type of pressure. So thoughts on like surviving the CRO. Surviving a CRO. So, you know, I, th I think, um, it's interesting. So communication, I think a lot of folks, I wrote a little blog on managing up um, a couple of weeks ago. And one of the things I talked about was how folks tend to um, want to avoid difficult conversations, tend to want to avoid bringing bad news to their boss, um, tend to uh, convince themselves that things will get better. And I think the best CROs, um, really, it's not much different than the best salespeople, really in any role, identify potential problems early, raise the problems early along with the potential solutions. Um, and so there are no surprises. The number one problem with any kind of salesperson, sales manager, sales leader is um, a, a negative surprise, right? And so um, as long as you keep people updated on trends, areas of upside, areas of risk, and show that you have a handle on your business, I think that's that's the most important thing. Um, you know, I think another too is if, if you are empathetic towards other groups, you know, an engineering team is committed to shipping capabilities A, B, and C in January 1, and half of them, you know, slip to February 1. I think it's pretty easy, and there's a lot of history of salespeople, sales leaders hitting the roof at that point. I think that you more the more that you can show empathy across other groups, uh, the more folks are going to recognize your humanity and tend to give you the benefit of the doubt when the inevitable bad quarter comes uh, as well. Um, and the last thing I would say is really just being three steps ahead of trends and data. I think, you know, we're at a point now with analytics and AI and visualization technologies and so much technology available on conversion and things like that, that there's really not an excuse, particularly if you're in a reasonably established business where you've got a couple years of history around you know, website traffic, downloads, gated content views, uh, SQL conversions, those kinds of things. There really isn't an excuse for not knowing your business really, really well. And so not just identifying, hey, next quarter's pipeline looks light, you know, but, but really I think the best CROs are 
have the ability to identify trends three, four, five quarters out, even if they're not perfect, but at least anecdotal trends, and be able to make recommendations on where to double down and where to sound the alarm early. Um, And so that next level of analysis, I think, is another biggie. I I feel like that's another mindset thing, (laughs) you know, because because you got to get to the level where you are working on the customer engine versus working in the customer engine. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I think, again, our our focus always as salespeople is this quarter or this month or this deal or, you know, this particular time frame. But that time frame will come to an end. um, And a lot of the work that you're doing on Q3 there are things happening up the pipeline or out in the marketing funnel that are that are laying out the success or failure of Q3, Q4, and Q1 of next year. And so as, as CRO, you don't have the luxury of focusing only on your current quarter. You better be 12 months out as well. And certainly, you have to have the ability to flex there, right? There are certain times in the quarter where you're going to be tri- you know, tripling your focus on existing pipeline and, and really ensuring that you've got your handle on things. But you can't shut down for days or weeks um, the broader overall health of the business focus. Agreed. Now, specifically about yourself, right? Like looking at your LinkedIn profile, it seems like you majored in sales and minored in biz dev, right? But then you have to pick marketing up. Like, tell us a little bit about your journey in like learning marketing. Mm. Marketing is obviously very different now than it was twenty, you know, than it was twenty years ago. Um, you know, but I think you know when I when I first started in sales, it was really about physical events, and you know, and most of the marketing work was around, you know, a lot of arguing over whether we were going to wear the matching denim T-shirts with the logo in the pocket or the white starch T-shirts, and could we do short sleeve or not have to roll them up? And obviously, it's very different now. And I think the biggest thing is just maintaining your curiosity. You know, I'm. I, I think I'm at a point in my career where I'm I'm probably not going to have any additional brilliant ideas or great ideas, um, but I can be very intentional about learning what others are doing and shortcut my learning by by picking that off. And so that's I, I'd say what I've done well in marketing over the last ten years is a lot of reading, talking to a lot of people that made a lot of mistakes and did the same thing, and picking up on you know on those ideas. Um, and then I think the biggest thing for me has been experimentation has been trying to ensure that any, anything new that we kick off in marketing, um, you know, attribution is never perfect, but that we have the ability to test it with a reasonably, you know, a reasonably populated data sample and get comfortable fairly quickly. And if it was something that we want to keep doing or not, I think, quantifying, you know, trying to figure out the very beginning or just saying everything is an experiment, everything. And even if the measurement isn't perfect, even if it's just anecdotal or or somewhat subjective, we're going to agree on that up front. And we're going to meet back here in three months, six months, nine months to decide whether we keep doing it or not. I think being maniacal about that has helped me. Yeah, I remember. So I was at Avalara for eight years, and mm-hmm. uh, and I had an amazing mentor in Pat Fall, who was the SVP of Sales. And then after that, we brought, brought Pascal Van Doren, who was a CRO, right? And both of them would say, "Guys, the data is the data. You know, like it's 
telling you stuff, but there's other stuff that's going on outside. So go spe- don't worry much a lot about this because nine out of ten ops are going to be bad. But you got to find the one person, right? And and at that point in time, there was nobody that knew about sales tax compliance, right? And so we focused maniacally on the data, but we absolutely focused on experimentation, right? Like, can we do something in this quarter and then find some results, get more investment, scale it up? If not, we're pivoting to something else. So I totally agree with what you're saying. It's just it's hard to get that proliferated or through the ranks, right? And so, at least in my humble experience, it's if you can get the first-line managers to buy into the idea, everything else will be fine. I think that's right. Yeah, I think that's right. I agree with that. Terrific. All right. Well, th- uh, as we come to closing this podcast, you know, are there key lessons that you're like, hey, look, the audience should definitely know this, especially uh, aspiring CROs or even let's call it first or second time CROs. You know, like like here's the few things, uh, let's call them the Davisms that you might want to share with them. Oh boy, most of my Davisms are things that I've done wrong that people don't <laughs> don't want to repeat. I know. Um, you know, you know, one thing I think that you have to be careful of if you take on other groups is to ensure that, that you represent all groups equally or that you kind of raise all voices in your org equally. And so, you know, I know I've had to work extra hard with customer success, you know, where I've got folks there that are far more technical than I am, whose resumes don't look a lot like mine. And it's extra important that I ensure that when I publish, you know, end of quarter blogs that I'm summarizing accomplishments there that when I'm, um, you know, presenting um, or running Q and A or things like that, that I'm ensuring that all of my team is kind of equally represented. And so I think that's one area of focus that's important. Um, I think another is any opportunity you have to give another department a break um, will pay you off twofold. And so, um, as an example, if you know it's middle of quarter engineering team, you know, leadership identifies that there's a bit of risk and a timeline to deliver a capability. You know, if you have the ability to say, honestly, nothing in our pipeline depends on that D on that capability right now. You know, if you would push that an incremental quarter, that's not going to impact us. That will pay off big time um, down the road because as, as revenue leader, you're going to need help in certain areas. You're going to need help from finance to push the boundaries of RevRec in some cases, or or at least be willing to talk about it and be creative. You're going to need engineering to find capacity to do something a little custom. Um, and as salespeople, you know, the best salespeople, that doesn't come naturally to them. They're, they're, they're typically, you know, charging, charging, charging. And so stepping back and proactively giving people a break when you don't need to, I think will pay, will pay dividends. Um, and the last thing I'd say is to remember to, to stop and smell the proverbial roses. I think as salespeople, we, we close the big deal. We celebrate for as long as it takes to spend the commission and we're off to the next one. And I think that system of motivation and reward works really well for salespeople. But I think what you'll find is in other groups, it's far more important to celebrate little wins acknowledge people's accomplishments, spend extra time talking about their weekend. The personalities are different and it's really important um, to be curious there and intentional there to make sure that everybody feels as part of the organization um, as possible. I'd say those are a few biggies to kind of keep your eye on. Superb. And 
I guess I want to throw this one at you to see how you, you get a little bit of reaction. Like the relationship between a CEO and a CRO, mm-hmm. any words of wisdom on that? Outside of just don't surprise me, right? Like I get that. Like everybody gets that. But, but there must be some nuggets there that you're like, okay, like there's this or that that you should keep keep an eye out for. You know, I think there's this notion of 80-20 um, of trying to avoid bringing smaller issues or issues that aren't super important to you. I mean, I think this is just basics of kind of managing up, right? It's, you know, there's a degree of, as a, as a sales VP, you know, you might bring to the EVP HR issues or, um, you know, issues about one particular region or one particular salesperson. And I think as CRO, because you have that overall responsibility, I think you need to have that overall kind of cadence, you know, with the CEO where you're stepping up your overall feedback loop. You're not getting hung up about problems in one area. You're not getting, you know, other than to identify things that you're doing maybe to fix it or identify early risks. But I think staying 80-20 is, is the biggest change, is just staying 80-20 on your feedback loop and focusing on the big rocks and not getting too far into the weeds. I think most CEOs appreciate that, appreciate that and want the information packed up. Terrific. Well, Dave, this has been fantastic, and I'm sure our listeners would love it. I'm actually going to make sure that this gets uh, shared in every single Slack channel where there's aspiring CROs, because <laughs> I really think that this is important for people to understand, right? This is so much of this is philosophical. It is not like, I mean, the mechanical pieces and operational pieces are there. I think CROs would benefit from uh, spending a lot of time in marketing and then learning operations as well. But uh, if they just, uh, you know, learn to have fun with CEOs, I think the the problem will sort of be 60% of the way solved. Just changing that mindset from being responsible for your domain, from being responsible for the company's overall success and knowing that the resources are limited to get there. I think that's, that's the big change. And if you can make that leap, then uh, you can have a lot of fun. Superb. All right. So let's move to a little bit of the fun part of the podcast. Uh, we ask all the guests, to name a couple of other guests who they believe are passionate about go-to-market or business intelligence or anything around the customer engine, right? And we do that specifically because when people join the podcast, then every guest like leaves an impression on the podcast, right? So what it's become now has been, we've been a bit of factor of like all the previous guests, right? So are there two people who you believe are super passionate about go-to-market or the customer engine that you would recommend we bring on the show as a guest? Boy, you know, the right thing for me to do would be to identify folks from different companies, different roles, things like that. But I've got a really special go-to-market team um, and there are two folks there. You should, you, you'd be remiss by not spending some time with one or both. And so the first, our SVP of marketing, Martin Gontavanakis, everybody calls him Gonto, um, you know, joined our company four years ago as a developer evangelist. And we hired him. He was a hipster developer. That was a good speaker and a good writer. And you fast forward four years and he's running marketing for, a you know, a, a, a multiple unicorn business purely based on his energy and his curiosity. And so if you want to talk about uh, guerrilla marketing and translating from guerrilla to scale, the importance of engagement and pipeline management, I think he's brilliant. Uh, and then Carrie Oak, who runs demand gen for us, I, I would say um, certainly the best demand gen uh, marketer I've ever worked with in my 20 plus years in SaaS. But the thing that sticks with me with Carrie is when I interviewed uh, her to 
to join us about four years ago. She was at a company that was doing really well. And I said, what's the problem? You know, why are you here? And she just said, I need to win. I need to feel at work every day that I'm winning. I need the opportunity to win. And I know that I can win when I come here. Um, and so both of them just incredibly passionate about go-to-market, very opinionated about the right way and wrong way to do it. Uh, you won't find folks with more energy. So you might want you might want to mix things up a bit. Maybe you don't want both. You should definitely have one of those two on here. Maybe we can actually have them both. We've never done a podcast with two people, but maybe this might be the one. So let's think about it. I don't know if Gonto would pause long enough to let Kerry get a word in edgewise, <laughs> but uh, you can give it a shot. They're brilliant, brilliant marketers. There's always the mute button that we have on the back. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right. And so, you know, these podcasts like become viral for different sort of reasons, right? But we always want to leave some sort of a breadcrumb. So we try to condense the podcast into a hashtag. So what would your hashtag be for this podcast? Oh, God. For this podcast? Uh, <laughs> I, I thought of hashtags more kind of in, in general because my personality and how I tend to bring kind of revenue initiatives is I, ha I have take the hill, hashtag take the hill. Uh, in my mind, we're always kind of looking for that next big strategic rock that we have to move in order to unlock the potential that we have as revenue leaders. Um, you know, and so taking the hill could be taking market share from a customer. It could be launching a new offering. It could be um, opening up a new path to market. I don't know if that works really well with this notion of uh, the difference between sales leadership versus CRO. Um, but that's what I've got. So you got to find some way to analogize that to this topic. <laughs> that's okay. We're going we're gonna to take the hill. Yeah. All right. So, well, great. And, uh, and if people after this podcast, I know you're a super busy guy, right? And, uh, but there's always these aspiring curious, curious people in the world that do want to connect with people that have done it and made it. Uh, how could somebody connect with you if they wanted to? Sure. Find me on LinkedIn or I'm just first.last uh, at authzero.com. Happy to chat. Well, superb. Well, Dave, thank you so much for giving us some time and, uh, and congrats on the success that you've already experienced. And uh, good luck with your future endeavors. Hey, thanks for having me. Have a good weekend. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review us and share these insights with your peers.